Welcome back to Israel and to Immerse, this 40-day journey to better understand the New Testament story and how you and I fit into it. It's, it's been quite a journey. In fact, today we're going to finish with the book of Luke. And it's a very dramatic finish because it tells the last week of Jesus leading up to his crucifixion and resurrection as he's in Jerusalem for that Passover week. And that time was a really difficult time for his closest followers. It was a very disillusioning time. In fact, by, by the time we get to Saturday before Resurrection Sunday, there really are no followers of Jesus. They're all in a, in a very disbelieving, very difficult place. And I don't know if you can relate to that, being disillusioned, thinking that you understand God's plan or that God has a plan and then finding circumstances that just make no sense. Uh, maybe you're in one of those times right now where you can probably believe by faith that God has some big plan for your life or, you know, he's working, going to work it out somehow. But it's just really hard to see right now with what you're going through. Or, or maybe you've been through a time like that in the past where uh, you're still trying to reconcile how that could have anything to do with the plan of God. And, and what we're going to be encouraged with today is, is the truth that the disciples and the followers of Jesus are going to understand by that Resurrection Sunday. And that is that God indeed has a plan is working on it, and is in complete control. Now, that dramatic week started right here where I am right now, which is, once again, on the Mount of Olives. And you'll see Jerusalem behind me. Uh, this is Jesus' staging ground, and the disciples, that they would go in and out. This is where they stayed on that last Passover week. And it's also where Jesus entered Jerusalem uh, that first time for Passover. And not only was this a dramatic week for just the disciples and Jesus, it was also a dramatic week for the nation because it was Passover week. Uh, Passover was the celebration of the time that God liberated Israel from domination, from slavery in Egypt. And so it was a time where they celebrated how God had redeemed and how God had saved them in their past. But it was also a bittersweet time because they were under domination of the Roman Empire at present. So there was a sense of celebrating what God had done, but then being in a once again, what felt like an enslaved, oppressed state. So they were looking forward to redemption. They were looking forward to the promises that God would send one day a Messiah, a Savior that they believed meant political salvation, that would take off the oppression of Rome and, and make Israel once again at the top of the totem pole. And, and they would control their own destiny. And that's what they were looking for. So it was a very dramatic time. Also for the Romans, for people like Pilate, dramatic because tensions were, rise, were were so high in the city. And the city was crowded with people because it was a pilgrimage feast. So there were people there from all over the country, all over the world who were Jews who came to celebrate Passover. So Jesus leaves from here, from the Mount of Olives, through the eastern gate, uh, which is now sealed up, to go into the city for the first time at the first of the week. Um, and that was a dramatic entry. We call it the triumphal entry because, again, as people were thinking that Jesus might well be the Messiah with all of his miracles and all of his teaching, as he came, he rode on a donkey in fulfillment of a prophecy. He goes through that gate, and as he comes into the city, uh, scores of people uh, lay their cloaks down on the ground uh, in front of him. They wave palm branches shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us. And again, they were not talking about spiritual salvation. They were talking about political salvation, that God would deliver them because they thought he was the conquering king. They would come in and, and throw off Rome. Now, they're going to be disillusioned by the end of the week because it's going to become obvious 
He's, that's not the kind of salvation he's talking about. That's not who he is. And they assume that means he's not the Messiah. So he goes into the city, and the first thing he does is ratchet up the drama even more. He goes into the temple. Behind me, you can see the temple mount. On top is the Dome of the Rock, that gold dome. That's not the temple. That's a mosque, a, a Muslim site. One day, prophecy tells us the temple will be built there again, but it's not now. Uh, but it was, uh, but it was a massive structure on top of that building. So, so Jesus goes into the temple, and by the time of Jesus, they had taken the court of the Gentiles, and had turned it into. Uh, and by the way, the court of the Gentiles was the provision for Gentiles, non-Jewish people, to connect to God at the temple. That was really important to God, but was not important to the Jewish people at the time. So they turned it into, out of convenience, a place where people could exchange money, uh, because you had to pay your temple tax and temple currency. They also made it a place where uh, you could buy animals that were certified pure. Uh, so, it, and, and of course they did that at, at prices that were exorbitant. And all of that made Jesus mad, that they would shove out the Gentiles and provision for the Gentiles, that they would cheat people out of money in the way they did the temple tax and the way they did the animals. And he just couldn't take it. So John, the book of John tells us that Jesus goes out and actually makes a whip himself. And then he goes into the temple and drives out the money changers out of the court of the Gentiles. And in that process, he says, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And by calling it my house, the priests and the Pharisees that were there would understand he's claiming once again to be God. This is God's house, the temple. Now, they had already decided they needed him gone, that they wanted to kill him because they were threatened by him. But now they were definitely intent on getting rid of him. So you feel the drama. Jesus continued to go back to the temple, though, through the days of that week, uh, teaching. But what he was teaching was not what the crowds were expecting. What they were expecting was a military leader, a conquering king. It was obvious over time that's not what was going on with Jesus as he talked about his kingdom as not a political one, but as something very different than that, a new world order, uh, one that was characterized by love, that was characterized by humility, that was characterized by justice, and eventually People realized he's not what we expected. We don't think he's the one, including one of Jesus' closest friends and one of his 12 disciples, Judas. Uh, we read in Luke 22:3, Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Now, you can feel the drama, right, as the plans were in the works. Thursday was the Passover meal, which was another very dramatic meal. It was always significant, full of symbolism. But the disciples could tell this Passover was different as Jesus was preparing them for his coming death on the cross and even resurrection. He was preparing them to take over the movement of God, uh, the Jesus movement, after he was gone. But most of that was going over his head, even when he... He took the unleavened bread, which was part of the feast, and broke it and said, this is my body that will be broken for you, and, and then passed the wine, this is my blood that will be spilled for you. He was trying to get them ready, goes over their head. They leave the Passover feast to go to Gethsemane, which will be our next stop, and the drama only goes from high to crazy high from there.
So Jesus leads his disciples after the dinner here to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is just on the bottom of the Mount of Olives. It's a really cool spot. Jesus would have enjoyed it a lot, I know, because it was it's a quiet little haven in the midst of all the crazy of Jerusalem. And it's also one of my favorite locations when I come here. In fact, it seems like everybody on these tours, you always have like one place that's the most meaningful. It's usually different for a different person, but for me, right here in the Garden of Gethsemane is kind of, it is definitely the top of the list. And I think just imagining Jesus being here and being with his disciples and praying, that would have happened multiple times when he's in Jerusalem. But on this particular evening, this really ratcheted up the drama, as we're going to see, as Jesus takes his disciples here because he feels like he needs them. Uh, he needs their community. He needs their support. And he needs to pray. He needs to be with God the Father. And so he asks them to pray with him. And then another gospel lets us know that he takes three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, deeper into the garden. And speaking of drama, this is what he says. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Now imagine being one of Jesus' disciples that you've come to understand as God. And he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. In that spirit of sorrow and dread, he then prays to God the Father. And he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So when Jesus says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, he's really wrestling with the plan of God. He's struggling with the plan of God. That's what we're talking about today is God's plan. Um, how, if there's any other way, God, if there's any other plan other than this plan. Now, of course, Jesus is God. He's the Son of God, but he's praying to his Father, and he chose to submit to his Father. And he's saying, God, if there's any other way... And, and, you know, sometimes people say, oh, there are lots of ways to God. I'm telling you, if there were a lot of ways to God, Jesus did not come just to make one more. That's why he says, if there's any other way. But God, I'll, I'll do it. And, of course, that's what he's committed to do. So he spends a amount of time in prayer, strengthened with the Father. And then he gets up and he walks by his disciples that he's asked to pray with him in his hour of need. And, uh, and they're asleep. Uh, it's been an exhausting week for them, and they're, and they're gone. Uh, he wakes them up, but soon the drama ratchets up again because Judas comes with the priests, with the temple guard, arrests Jesus. They go to the home of Caiaphas where there's a trial. Caiaphas was the high priest where there's a trial. Uh, they do convict Jesus that, yes, that he's a blasphemer, he needs to die, but they can't carry out the sentence. So they go to the Roman leader, Pilate, to say, this guy is, you know, a bad guy. You need to kill him. So he interviews him and says, hey, look, this is about your religious stuff. I don't see any reason that this guy should be executed. But they insisted and they insisted. And Passover week, thousands and thousands and thousands of extra Jews, all with a, a liberation mentality. Uh, he doesn't want any more drama. He doesn't want a scene. He doesn't want any kind of rebellion. And so he gives in. And he says, okay, if that's what you want. So he hands Jesus over to be crucified. First, he's flogged by the soldiers. He's, he's beaten. He's ridiculed. All that happens. But then the crucifixion, which will take us to our next location. So we don't know exactly where Jesus was crucified. There's a couple of theories. 
Uh, one is further that, uh, over that direction, but another one is right here where we are because the Bible says he was crucified at the place of the skull at Golgotha. And behind me, that rock looks like a skull. Now, it actually looked more like a skull back in Jesus' day than it does now. Parts of the rock have fallen off. But it is certainly possible that somewhere right around where I'm standing, or probably even closer to the skull, is where Jesus was crucified. We don't know. But what we do know is that he was crucified, and that he died on the cross for the sins of the world, and that there was a point during that crucifixion where he said, it is finished, shortly before he died, meaning that the justice of God had been satisfied. And then, just before he dies, he quotes a psalm and says, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now, after he dies, the disciples are left despondent. On that Saturday, there's no way for them to understand how that could have anything to do with the plan of God. And so, as I said earlier, on, by Saturday, there really were no believers of Jesus anymore. They assumed whatever hopes they had, whatever beliefs they had, uh, they basically died when they saw Jesus die. But that's going to change when Sunday comes. So after Jesus' death, they take his body. And Joseph of Arimathea, who we know from the other Gospels, was a secret disciple of Jesus. He was a key religious leader on the Sanhedrin, a wealthy guy, uh, has a family tomb. And he takes Jesus' body to that tomb. Um, Pilate orders that a couple soldiers be there uh, to guard the tomb, the entrance of the tomb, because he doesn't want any drama. Now, we're going to tell the story of what happens on Sunday, but... First, just to give a little bit of perspective about the tomb. So this would have been a little bit earlier than the time of Jesus, but very reminiscent of the kind of tomb that Jesus would have been buried in that Joseph of Arimathea had as the family tomb. Uh, the women on Friday afternoon, once they delivered his body, uh, began to prepare the body, uh, but they had to stop at sunset because that's the beginning of Sabbath. And then Saturday happens, and then Sunday morning uh, the women come, it's the Sabbath is over, they come to that tomb to find the surprise of their lifetime. I'm just going to read the passage from Luke. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they prepared and went into the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning, angels, stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Meaning, they almost think you should have known. We'll get to that. He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified on the third day, and be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Jesus had been talking about his death, talking about his resurrection. It should have been clear to them. But until this moment for the ladies, it was just a little bit too much to figure out how that could possibly be part of the plan of God. Later, Jesus appears to the disciples and spends a good bit of time with them uh, before his ascension to heaven and before he's going to release the mission to them to start the church. Luke lets us know in chapter 24 that he also fills them in on the big plan of God and how everything fit in. It says, Jesus said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, 
This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and I'm going to send you what my father has promised. Talking about the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city in Jerusalem until you've been clothed with power from on high to pursue the mission to extend the plan of God. But Jesus gives them an incredible gift, the gift of perspective. Because on Saturday, uh, as we just said, they didn't know the plan of God at all. Nothing made sense. Uh, they assumed that, that, any plan that Je- any plan of God that had to do with Jesus was over. But after the resurrection and after the explanation was a major aha moment because they were able to piece it all together. I'm sure that's happened to you at times. You've had some major realization when something's been confusing. And then it just all comes together and you're like, oh, oh, yeah. Well, that makes sense. That's exactly what happened to them. And they and what Luke wants us to understand in that final week of Jesus is that the plan of God cannot be thwarted. I mean, I'm sure the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the priests thought that they were in complete control. I'm sure Pilate and the soldiers thought they were in control, but they weren't. All of it was part of the overarching plan of God. Now the disciples were able to see it. Now, for you and me, when we're in the middle, like the disciples were on Saturday between Friday and Sunday, it can be a little tough sometimes to to maintain perspective because we don't know the big picture. We don't know the end of the story like the disciples did. I'm sure things have happened in your life. You may be going through a time like this right now where it just doesn't make sense. How could a good God allow what's happening to you happen to you? Or maybe it's something in the past that you're still trying to piece together and you're you're maintaining faith and, and saying, I'm just going to choose to trust him. But it just makes no sense at all because you don't know the end of the story. You don't know the big picture. I mean, I can relate to that. There have been things that have happened in the life of my family over the last couple of years that that I don't like. I wouldn't make the plan that plan. But there's two things that I try to choose to do in confusing times. Because knowing that I won't know the end of the story until heaven. I mean, yeah, then I think we will. We'll be able to look back like the disciples did and go, ah, I got it. That makes sense. But when we're in the middle and things still don't make sense, two aspects of God's character I always try to have as my anchor. And these two aspects of God are in my prayers all the time. The fact that God is good and he's in control. That he's perfectly in control and he's perfectly good. And if I can trust those two things, then I can go through confusing times knowing, hey, I may not know the plan, but God does and he's good. And just like the Old Testament where God says to the nation of Israel, I know the plans I have for you and they're good. Therefore, your welfare, not for your harm. I trust the same thing with God. And so I just encourage you, if you're having a week or if you're having a year or if you're having a lifetime of confusion like the disciples did on that Friday night, and Saturday leading up to the resurrection, I encourage you to trust God because his plan ultimately cannot be thwarted and you're not on your own. He is in control and he is good. And I want to pray for you just as I pray for myself uh, as we all go through confusing times in the middle. Let's pray together. Father, I do praise you and thank you that you are completely good. And those two things together we need to lean on, especially For those who are in confusing circumstances right now where life just doesn't make sense, where they are kind of like the disciples were on Saturday in the middle between Friday and Sunday. 
And Father, we trust that one day we'll have much greater perspective from heaven as we look back and, and we'll be able to realize, oh yeah, too. But until then, Father, would you strengthen us? Would you help us have enough faith just to keep moving forward, uh, just to know that you are good, that you are in control, and nothing can thwart your plans. In Jesus' name, amen.